Our sermon text this morning is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, beginning with verse 25, reading to the end of the chapter, verse 40. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Now, concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she has passed her youth, if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart, To keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. My title of this sermon, you don't have it in your bulletins, but they do have it uh, in the office, is I give an opinion. And you'll notice that that's a quote from the very beginning of of the text. I give an opinion. In a day when authority is universally hated, but not all authority, rather the authority of the church in the home, the authority of the government is growing and growing and growing and is loved. In a a day when the authority of the church and the home, the authority of pastors and elders, of parents and of husbands is universally hated, coming to a text like this is very difficult. And so... First, looking at the text, I thought to myself, you know, that's interesting. The very beginning of this text says this. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion. And so I'm thinking, huh, that's interesting. I give an opinion. 
you know, one of the problems with being in a church where the authority of pastors is honored is that nobody ever thinks you give an opinion. Everybody has lost, because of the rebellion of our culture, they've lost the ability to discriminate between commands and opinions. And so, if I have a preference, everybody thinks it's a command. But it's not a command. And so, you know, you'll be in a counseling session, and you'll have a couple say to you, do you think contraception is wrong? Should we use contraception? And you'll say to them, well, okay, here's what the Bible teaches about God saying, be fruitful and multiply, and here's what the Bible teaches about children are a blessing from the Lord, happy is the man whose quiver is full. Here's what the Bible teaches about how it's God's kindness that the apple trees give us apple and that the grain stalks give us grain and that the little kittens have cats, you know, and dogs have puppies and, you know, and that our marriage beds are fruitful and everybody's, go, 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 yes, yeah, blah. Especially in the summer if they're picking tomatoes. All right. And then I say, now, as to the question specifically, whether it is ever right to oppose these blessings from God, and I watch their eyes. And if I see that they're just still ga-ga-ga, you know, soft and, and warm and romantic and sentimental and aren't babies beautiful, then I say, now, as to whether or not, in your particular case, contraception is right or wrong, that's a decision between you and God. The Lord has not given us a specific command. All right. And now some of you are saying, well, wait, he has given it. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And I say, yes, I know. I know. And so I do believe that if a couple comes to me and asks to be married and they say, we are not going to have children, I won't do the wedding. Because you can't separate the call of God to be fruitful and multiply from the marital union. You just can't do it. And that command to be fruitful and multiply is not subordinate to Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, he's rich. And no, he knows nothing about the ability of the world to sustain God's creation. Yesterday, one of you sent me, Colin, sent me a link to somebody who's giving a talk tomorrow. She's the head of the U.S. Geological Survey. And the presses of the talk, you know, the abstract, the thing that summarizes what she's going to be telling is how there has been, just in the last five years, an absolute explosion of fossil fuel uh, reserves in the United States. Now, how did that happen? This is mind-boggling. Maybe some rich man like Michael Bloomberg decided that he was going to create more fossil fuel reserves. Because he knew that this was a real financial issue, and he decided, you know, maybe Zuckerberg, you know, he decided that he was going to use his IPO, take out a loan on it, you know, and all of a sudden just create huge amounts of fossil fuel reserves. Now, you know that's not how fossil fuel reserves come about, but everybody's acting as if all of a sudden the fossil fuel reserves have just exploded. But you know something? When God said, be fruitful and multiply, he knew that in 2012,
the entire world would be having hissy fits over our ability to sustain man, human beings, all right, on this earth would be at a limit. And he knew that he was going to invent, God himself was going to invent fragging. All right? And all of a sudden, we were going to have enough natural gas to take care of our needs for a century more. All of a sudden, we were going to have more natural gas reserves than Russia. Do you know that's just what happened? Do you know that because of that, the entire photovoltaic solar industry has just been blown to smithereens in the United States. Every dot-com billionaire and mil hundreds of millionaire put all his money into alternative energy in the last 15 years. Did you know this? Get wired and read it. There's a big article about it this time. And now they're all lost all their money because God, who said, be fruitful and multiply, knew, knew that the United States of America in the years 2005 to 2012 would all of a sudden have humongous amounts of natural gas. Just, just natural gas everywhere. <laughs> and we're all going, I don't know what we're going to do. We got India, and we got China, and we got cars for India and China, and I don't know what we're going to do. Honey, I think we better tie our tubes in two. Because what about China? Here we are, God's people, and we're intimidated by these people? And you say, well, you know, pastor, you're standing up in the pulpit, and you're a big wig now, and, you know, you got gray hair, and you have the seat of authority, and it's easy for you to say, but I'm actually in the classroom with these people. And I say, listen, I had long hair and a pierced ear at UW-Madison, and it makes this place look tame. And when I was at UW-Madison, they said all the same things, and I sucked it up. So I was like an environmentalist. I drove a diesel rabbit. I got 37 miles per gallon pulling a 2,000-pound trailer behind my car from Madison to Boulder. I was in third gear the whole time at 55 miles an hour. <laughs> and if I'd ever touched the brakes, there would have been a glorious explosion <laughs> because Touching the brakes would have sent that trailer into my rear end, and I would have been just tumbling down the interstate. Okay, and my poor wife was in the passenger seat. Poor Heather was in the back seat. Bikes on the top, because of course we rode bikes. And when I got to First Presen Boulder, I taught a class in that church with, like, a nuclear engineer on the evils of nuclear energy. And I taught against the evil of nuclear bombs because people in that church worked at Rocky Flats. Anybody remember this? And at that time, the Catholic workers were getting busted for lying across the tracks of Rocky Flats because Rocky Flats was where they were manufacturing the plutonium triggers for the Cold War. 
Listen, all you kids who think you're so smart, trust me. Been there, done that, younger than that now. Okay? There is nothing new under the sun. And God was not surprised by natural gas reserves. And God is not surprised by fragging. Okay? God, the creator of the universe, said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he, in case you didn't get it the first time, he said it again. And in case you didn't get it a second time, he said it a third time. And in case you were fearful that if you actually did what he commanded, that you would not be able to provide bread for your children, he says that the godly have never lacked bread. I'm just quoting scripture. And then, in case you were still worried, he says in Psalms 127 and 128, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. He says that he's the one that gives you sleep. He says if you get up early and stay up late to provide for your family, it's actually him who's giving the food to your family. Which is not a statement against getting up early and staying up late. But just keep it in perspective. And so when I was in college at UW-Madison, I read Paul Ehrlich, who said that by the 80s there would be massive riots and deaths of, I think it was millions, that the whole world, the globe, would be in, in revolution and armed insurrection and complete anarchy because of the lack of food. And then do you know what happened? The Green Revolution hit. And something that we never conceived of back in the 70s happened, which is that all of a sudden, China and India became self-sustaining in food. <laughs> Nobody could conceive of it, that China could be self-sufficient. And then it hit. Then India became self-sufficient, a billion people. And here are Christians, oh, I just don't know what I'm going to do. The earth can't sustain the massive assault upon Gaia, you know. Gaia's going to cry. <laughs> and you wonder who Gaia is. Well, Gaia is the, the life principle, mother nature of the earth. It's, it's the unspoken god of environmentalism. And so you say, well, you know, you're making a mockery of these things, you know. Um, and this is always, Christians are always trying to bring in through a back door what they know they better not try to bring in from the front door. And so what Christians do with homosexuality is they then go back to the issue of making a distinction between the sin and the sinner, making a distinction between identity and action, you know. And then we can, we can come in the back door and still be progressive, and, and not offend the thought control police, all right? Well, with environmentalism, the way we do this is, if we're not so impious as to argue this, we then back up and we say, well, the Bible says that we're supposed to be stewards of the world. And so having a child is a question of stewardship. I had a, the moderator of my elders board at a former church here one, one time was counseling somebody on my staff to consider aborting their unborn child because they had been on a medication. 
when his wife got pregnant. And I just listened to him say what he had counseled this person. And I just, you know, I'm going, ha, 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 ha. And I said to him, call him, say, Bob. I said, Bob, how, how could you say that? And with the supercilious equanimity of a PhD with tenure, he looked at me. He said, well, I think of abortion as a question of stewardship. little child's life is a question of stewardship? Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Right? You all with me? Uh -uh. Because you see, the minute you say that, then when your mother is in the terminal stages of Alzheimer's and is really not pleasant to talk to and often has to have her diaper changed, we have another question of stewardship, right? Right? Is everybody with me? And so here's this poor couple sitting in this pastor's office saying, do you think we should use birth control? <laughs> I'm laughing because that, you probably forgot that's where we were. <laughs> you know, don't worry, I'm coming back. And I'm saying, well, you know, the Bible says be fruitful and multiply, and the Bible says that the, the, the God, we have never gone without bread, and then the Bible says be fruitful and multiply again, but actually it doesn't say it, it commands it again. And then the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, and then the Bible says, children are a blessing from the Lord, happy is the man whose quiver is whole. He shall not be ashamed when he contends with his enemies at the gate. And then I look at your eyes and I see that you're just so oppressed by the thought control police of this world. And so then I start talking to you about fragging. And then I start talking to you about, you know, the, 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 the mind-boggling abundance and fecundity and fertility of this world that God has put us on. About how the prisoners in the Second World War survived. It was not nice of the Japanese, but they did survive on seaweed. <laughs> okay? You know something? The issue is always our faith. And then we find the excuses that match our faithlessness. And there are levels of excuses and levels of vocabulary and articulation and degrees to justify our excuses. Okay? But would you please stop browbeating me with your thought control police? Would you stop oppressing me? Would you please let me be a part of the beautiful tapestry of diversity? Shouldn't there be one wacko dude like me around just to give him an arty report? 
you know, isn't that really what God's servant should be? Shouldn't he be given the dignity of at least preaching the minority report? Huh? Huh? And so here we come to a text, and I'm all prepared to talk about all the decisions that you will face as a married couple and as singles about your lives that I am free to say I have an opinion. And I'm about to preach Christian liberty to you. That's what I was headed to do today. Christian liberty on the question of birth control. And you say, well, you haven't given us liberty. I say, yes, I have. I've given you liberty on birth control. <laughs> you say, well, it doesn't feel like that. I say, that's because you're faithless. It's not my problem. What did I tell you? You said, well, you said we can't use birth control. No, nope, didn't say that. Well, it sure felt like that. I say, yep, that's because you're faithless. You say, come on, that's not fair. I say, well, you know, up until this point, you were in bondage to the thought control police and the environmental wackos and to Gaia and to all the limited resources and to, you know, the, you know. And so what I did is I told you that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he's not surprised by another century of reserves of natural gas. And so what I'm doing is I'm giving you liberty. I am not Mao Zedong telling you you may only have one child. And I'm not Robertson, Pat Robertson, saying that if we were over there with a billion, we might do the same thing. Remember Pat Robertson saying that? I'm not somebody in China who's trying to keep from going back because if they go back, they now have two children they had in the U.S. while they were studying. And now, what happened to choice anyhow? Where are all the Planned Parenthood people when it comes to saying to China, how dare you take away their choice? <laughs> you see, choice works one way. Choice works for not having children and not trusting God and not doing what he says to do. That's always the way the world's choice works. It's rebellion. And so they will talk a big talk about choice as long as your choice is to rebel against God. But the minute you start obeying God, then they'll talk about bondage. They'll talk about repression. They'll talk about patriarchy. They'll talk about old fogies. They'll talk about dinosaurs, they'll talk about paleolithic doctrine, they'll talk about dogma, they'll talk, you know, all of a sudden they'll start acting as if you're in a prison when in fact the word of God is the only possible way for you to be free today because it has the only place where there is an authority sufficient to trump the authority of the thought control police. And so I was going to preach to you about Christian liberty today and say that the Apostle Paul said what? I have an opinion. And then I realized that you are so browbeaten by the thought control police of this world that you're incapable of understanding the difference between an opinion and a command. And then I thought, okay, where? And I thought, well, with the whole issue of having children, there's one. You have no freedom, 
and you can't hear anything other than as a command. It's either the pastor's command that you have as many children as possible until your wife dies, or it's the command of everybody else saying, don't have any more children than you can provide for properly. And there you are between this and this. And I'm saying, no, 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 over here, there's freedom. There's freedom. Just tell me that you're not tone deaf. Tell me that you have freedom, and then you'll have freedom. And you say, well, how do I prove to you that you have freedom? And I say, well, the way you prove that to me is, tell me how many people this earth, its capacities, can sustain. And if you say to me, well, less than we have now, and I say, you're not free yet. <laughs> you say, well, but I mean, with a proper education, less than we have now. And I say, you're not free yet. Where does the Bible ever tell you that your children have to have a college education? <laughs> I mean, my wife and Diane Smith started Lighthouse Christian Academy. You know that. And can I tell them, please? You don't want me to. Okay. My wife doesn't have a college degree. Now, does that mean that I don't believe and she doesn't believe in reading? Does that mean that our children are ignorant and inarticulate? Do you know that my daughter, Heather, spoke up in the first service and corrected me, put up her hand and corrected me during the sermon? Listen, people. The Bible nowhere says that we must, as Christian parents, only have as many children as we can properly educate. Because the whole issue of what a proper education is, is unbelievably debatable. You take a few people without a college degree here and a few people with, or better yet, you take a few people without a college education here and a few people with the terminal degree and mix them up in a room, close the door, and see who walks out. Stupid Mike Bowles or smart Eric Rasmussen. <laughs> Don't, I would love to see that one. <laughs> they would each walk out in their way. Listen, guys, I don't care whether it's education and the cost of education. I don't care whether it's a proper diet. I don't care whether it's how many square feet in the home or how much acreage. I don't care whether it's nurturing love and the diminishment of nurturing love as you have more children. The mother isn't able to love as many children. Hey, listen, I don't care what the resource it is that you want to argue. I don't care. I just want you to look at God and tell him that there's not enough of that for you to have a quiverful, you know? Listen, live by faith. Would you please live by faith? And would you please be restored to having an opinion instead of a received dogma from our culture? You know, here's an idea. Have an opinion. The Apostle Paul says, I have an opinion. 
And the opinion is based on Christian freedom. And I could go on and on and on and on telling you the places we have freedom that the world is in bondage. I would have people come to me and ask me whether they should tithe on their gross or their net. And I'd just look at them, just like birth control, and I'd say, well, that's not my decision to make, but here are some principles. And I would hope that by the time I was done, they would finally have freedom to make the decision. You know? And you can imagine now, having heard me with birth control, you can imagine where I'd go with that question. You know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You can't outspend God. My dad used to say, God's no man's debtor. My own experience, when I felt, you know, at the very edge of my ability to provide for my daughter and my wife, my new wife. And so I didn't want to report my increase in income to our federal funded housing where you have to report your income and they have a sliding scale what your rent is based on how much income you have and so I wanted to sneak through because when I came in I didn't have much income at all and so my rent was really low and so I fought this battle whether or not I was going to be honest about my money and so finally I came under conviction I went into the office to the lady and I said I need to tell you my income's gone up and she said, oh, really? You know, as if it was the most normal thing in the world for a resident of that apartment complex to come in and tell her that their income had gone up. <laughs> you know, oh, really? She takes out the papers to change the form, you know. And in the process of doing it, she looks at me and she says, now, how many dependents do you have? And I say two. I said, no, actually three. Because we had just had a baby. And she said, oh, well, your rent doesn't go up because now you have three dependents. And I learned that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And you say, no, you learned you're stupid. <laughs> and I say, no, no, I didn't learn I was stupid. I learned that God is completely able to provide everything that's needed by his obedient children. And so you have Christian freedom. You have freedom. In Christ, you have freedom. You have freedom to say no to pornography. You have freedom to not dress in such a way as seduce men. And to trust that God will give you a husband, despite you looking a little bit dumpy compared to other women as the world would see it. You have freedom to live in an understanding way with your wife and to love her. You have freedom to confess to the elders that you have sinned against your wife and to receive the mercy of God as they declare to you that what is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven, using the power of the key. You have freedom to sit under the preaching of the word and not to be afraid that the thought police will come in here and see what you're thinking and what you're listening to. You have freedom when they punish you because they see that you're at this church and they read my blog and they say that you are an enemy of the people, you know? Enrique Ibsen, anybody 
read the play, An Enemy of the People? Oh, you, you guys have to read. Forget the college education. Get an education. Don't you remember what Mark Twain said? He doesn't ever allow schooling to get in the way of the education of his children. <laughs> it's a great play by Ibsen, who's just a bad propagandist. But you have freedom to have people accuse you of being an enemy of the people and not to blush. And not to be afraid because God will protect you. You have the freedom to think with a Christian instead of thinking in bondage to the slave master of the chattering classes. You have the freedom, if you watch the Super Bowl, to not turn it on until after the idolatry at the beginning stops. You all know what I'm talking about, right? You can tell the difference between a game and idolatry, right? You have the freedom when you're in an IU basketball game and the idolatry starts to turn away. Right? You, do you have the freedom? Or are you in bondage to the idols of this world? Now, here's where I'm going to end. Gesundheit. <laughs> Listen. This text... Are you ready for this? Fasten your safety belts. This entire text gives you the freedom to request the permission of your parents to marry. You didn't notice that, did you? Did anybody notice that, all this talk about your virgin? You see, what this is, is this is a text built on the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God giveth you. This text opens that up so that you see the gears inside. And the gears are inside are that one of the most intense pressure points, all through history it's been spoken of, where you have to decide whether to honor your father and mother is in the matter of the person that you marry. Okay? And this text is just incidentally showing you how all through history it has been understood that Christians go to their parents for approval for who, the person they're going to marry. And man, can you imagine a more countercultural thing in the church today? The church is doing everything it can to tell you all the reasons you should never submit to authority. You realize that. That's the purpose of the church today, is to create rebels. And so the church, the minute you talk about church authority, what does the church do? Immediately it talks about the abuse of elders and pastors' authority. And so immediately you're trimming the truth down to fit what you think is a reasonable explication of it and what is an unreasonable. But you never get to the reasonable. You're so busy drawing the picture of the unreasonable that there's, can you believe it? Never a time that you submit to the authority of pastors and elders. 
After all, the pastor's a jerk, the elders aren't kind, the older women of the church aren't young women and don't know what young women have to go with. They have decent husbands and my husband's a jerk. And furthermore, did you hear about that church out in Los Angeles where the pastor sat in the bleachers while his team's softball team played and he was so angry at them one week that they lost that he made a rule next week that they were all going to play left-handed and bat opposite their normal. And so we have a man who's a professor at a Christian college writing a book about churches that abuse using that as an illustration of how all of us need to be on guard against the abuse of authority in churches. <laughs> it's like, here's an idea. If your pastor tells you you shouldn't play with your right hand at a softball game, you go, I, I, what's a non-obscene but facial thing that you can do? I don't know what to do. You know, you know or... Yeah, you know, something. You just, just blow him off. And you say, oh, but he's the pastor. I say, since when does the Bible give him authority to tell you which mitt, which hand to put your mitt on? I mean, your mitt is left-handed or right-handed. Put it on the hand the way it fits. <laughs> you know? I mean, is this really necessary to have a book about this? And should we use that as an example of why when they come to you and they tell you that you are not to allow your husband back into the home until he repents of his adultery. You should say, oh, nah, 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 you're telling me not to bat left-handed. Churches exist today to keep you from submitting to elders and pastors' authority. Seminaries exist to get pastors to preach in such a way that you never feel pressure. You just think, well, that was helpful. Do you ever leave here thinking, well, that was helpful? <laughs> Do you know that I am the inveterate opponent of helpful sermons? <laughs> you know? That's not true. But you know what I'm saying. Okay? I don't want to give you a pre-masticated dispensation or dispensing of objective truth. I want to give you the proclamation of the Word of God, where it's inescapable where it applies to you. I want you to read the Bible that way. I want you to become acculturated as to how to read the Bible by listening to me preach. So that when you open the Bible, you stop emasculating it. So every time you read the Bible, you hear and you see that the Word of God is not a velveteen rabbit. It is a hammer and a fire. This is what Scripture testifies about itself. And this entire section is based on the fifth commandment and it is talking to fathers about what they decide about their virgin daughters and marriage. <laughs> In other words, it's not just the children, it is specifically the daughters.
And let me tell you something. It's not talking about five or six or seven-year-olds. Because you don't talk about a five or six or seven-year-old being a virgin. It's talking about grown women who go to their fathers or, more likely, who send their anticipated husbands to their fathers requesting their daughter's hand in marriage. And all through church history, all through church history, this has been the uniform practice of the church. And I can prove this by telling you that your marriage ceremonies are descent, direct descendants from the Sarum rite of the 11th century. You can just trace the words of the marriage ceremonies from the 11th century. And it didn't start there. And in the marriage ceremonies of the pagans of our world, we have this weird, weird thing that happens. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's some dude purporting as if he's transferring his authority over his daughter to her husband who gives this woman to be married to this man. And you don't have feminists standing up going, na, 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 na. How come there isn't his, his mother transferring the authority of, of, the, of, of her son to the bride? Who gives this man to be married to this woman? And so what did we do? Well, Lyndon Johnson did it first. Her mother and I do. As if. As if that solves anything. The problem isn't whether he says I do or her mother and I do. Every man who's ever been married knows that every time he speaks, he, be, he speaks by the will of his wife. I mean, is this news to any of you husbands? <laughs> if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> you know, as if. I mean, that, that, that's the meaning of the imperial we. You know, we do. I don't have a problem with that. Even if he says, her mother told me to say, we do. <laughs> you know, you've still not gotten anywhere. Because you still have the essential element. Which is, there's nobody standing there saying that about the groom. And there is somebody standing there saying that about the bride. And yet... If I were to ask how many of you requested permission to marry of your parents who were Christians, I guarantee you that the majority of us never did it. And it's been the universal practice across all ages of those who belong to God. And this entire text depends upon it. It's, it's the warp and the woof. It's the above, the below, the, le the left and the right. It's the sky and it's the sea and it's the land. It's the guts of the whole text. Without the understanding that parents need to give permission for their children to marry, 
and specifically fathers need to give permission to their daughters. Nothing that I read as our text this morning makes the slightest sense. I mean, will you all agree with me on that? You read it. You heard it, right? I mean, like, listen to this verse. Okay, this is verse um, 36. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, daughter is understood, if she is past her youth, And if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. Are you with me? He, the father, let her marry. There's absolutely no way to understand this other than the father has a decision to make about his daughter, whether or not to let her marry. Will everybody please agree with me on this? And so if I proclaim that an application of the fifth commandment is that you need your parents' permission to marry, Will you please understand that this is what I have to do? You know, I just sort of have to do this. Aren't you glad I did it? Remember how I said the church is constantly seducing you to rebellion. And the church is immediately going to tell you that this is what is wrong with Tim Bailey. This is what is wrong with Clearnote Church Bloomington. This is what's wrong with Mary Lee Bailey. This is what is wrong with all the Baileys. This is what is wrong with the Carells. This is what is wrong with Dave Carell. And Annie's wrong for allowing him to get away with it. And it's just going to be this overwhelming, pomo, postmodern, disgusting personalization of every issue. As if there's nothing objective in life. As if this Bible is completely open to manipulation of anything that I say, I can twist it. As if I just twisted it. As if this wasn't a necessary conclusion of the text, but only the part of the text that I chose to give you. And of course, that's because I'm always about authority. And I'm always about authority because I'm so insecure in my own. You know, just like people that are all about heterosexual marriage instead of homosexual marriage are latent homosexuals and fearful of their own sexuality. Not quite certain. And so they have to just attack people that are different. Because it's so scary to see different people. Listen, you want to talk about difference? Come into my home when we have a family meal. (laughs) Hannah, Heather. Ben, Lucas. You know? Man, woman. All right, now, there are huge areas of Christian freedom. But you'll never have freedom until you have faith. 
You will never have decisions where you are able to make them until you trust God that obedience will not kill you, but give you life. Paul says, I have an opinion. And you know what? It's an opinion. It's not a command. And we'll get into what his opinions are, but the entire under substructure, foundation, the footers, the footers without which none of his opinion makes any sense is that the fifth commandment means that your parents should give you permission to be married. And so if you go off the reservation, all right, and you marry someone they did not give you permission to do, that is an act of rebellion. <laughs> Especially with women. Now, listen, everybody that knows anything about our church right now is looking at me cross-eyed. And the reason is that it is not unusual for us as a church to have one or two parents that are absolutely opposed to a wedding in this church. And so you're sitting there going, well, you just got done saying, listen, would you please remember that if you are a wife who submits to her husband and your husband commits adultery or hits you, would you please remember that the proper thing for you to do is to what? Permission to speak freely, sir. You appeal. And you go to the authority over your husband. And who is that authority? It's the civil magistrate and it's the elder of the local church. So the authority of husbands over their wives is subordinate to the authority of the elders over your husband. Are you with me? The authority of, of parents over their children is subordinate to the authority of the elders of a church over the children and the parents. This is why we don't allow you as parents to make a decision about the Lord's table for your children. This table is not your home table, and so you may not invite your children to this table. Now, that's controversial in many places. But we believe that God ordained that the table of our Lord be under the officers of the church and not every individual father. We don't believe fathers have the right to take this table home and give it to their family. We don't believe that fathers have the right to be able to baptize their children. God gave the sacraments to the church officers. So the application of this is, if your parents are wicked in their exercise of authority over you in the matter of who you may marry or whether or not you may, what do you do? You appeal. You appeal to those in authority over them. You don't just rebel. Does this make sense to everybody? Now, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, thinking quickly, the next question would naturally be what? Well, what if the parents aren't Christians? And I'll tell you, that's a difficult one. Because then what happens is your parents say no, then you go to the elders, but the elders have no authority over your parents. But the good thing is you ask the elders and then they go in a room and they spend seven hours and Lawrence has to get up in the morning and start drilling again. 
and we just go around and around and we read the church fathers and we read scripture and then we argue and then we read the father and churches and we argue and then we pray and then we argue and then we pray and then we argue. It goes on hour after hour after hour after hour. And the good thing is you don't have to be there. And the good thing is when you appeal to the elders over the decision of your parents, you are in submission to authority. Ain't that beautiful? And listen, not one of those elders wants to make the decision. You know, they don't want to make that decision because any decision they make is going to hurt somebody and appear to be sin. Do you understand? If they say to you, you may proceed, your, par your parents are divorced, your father is living with somebody without benefit of marriage, there is absolutely complete abdication of paternal authority in your life, and it can't just stand up at this point and say no. Do you understand? They know they'll be accused of fomenting rebellion. And if they tell you that your father is wise and that this is not the man for you, every single woman in the church will think that the elders are cruel and merciless. And that's not even to mention the mothers. And possibly even our wives. And so listen, nobody in this church wants to make decisions like that. But do you understand, we must restore freedom in the lives of Christians. And you're never free until you are able to think thoughts contrary to the thought police that you live under. You're never free until you're able to submit to proper authority. Only in submission to proper authority do you have freedom. Do you understand this? Because let me tell you something. If you will not submit to your husband, if you will not submit to your parents, if you will not submit to the elders of a church, there is only one authority left. And do you know what it is? It's the authority of a man who said that if his daughters got pregnant, he would want them to be able to kill his grandchildren in abortion. It's the authority of the government. And that authority is devouring every single place where you rebel. And you're not getting freedom. You're getting to the point where Washington, D.C. controls every single waking minute of your life. That's what rebellion gives you. Authority never, ever decreases. It just moves laterally. Okay, is everybody with me? And so I want you to be free because that's what the Bible calls you to is freedom in Christ. I want you to start thinking dangerous thoughts so that you have the ability of saying no. to the slave master of this world, which is Satan. Hath God truly said that you may not eat of any of the trees of the garden? 
what she should have said is, no, just one. And the other trees are sufficient for me because I am delighted to be under the authority of God. But she didn't. And now we're so free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is that it is founded upon and constantly communicates that in the beginning you made the heavens and the earth. Thank you, Father, that it does not pander to our rebellion. Thank you that it calls us to the freedom of submission. We pray for the young men and women here and the parents that you will make us to live together in unity and that there may be sympathy on the part of parents to their children, and particularly fathers to their daughters, and that daughters might be willing to submit to their fathers and wives to their husbands without fear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.